0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America N.A. Member FDSE.
1: For everything. For everything Indy. For everything Colts, It's the Blue Horseshoe now. Here's your host, George Bremer and Brian Hickey. And
2: welcome back in to the latest edition of the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Brammer here with you. A loaded, loaded Blue Horseshoe Podcast for you here on this Tuesday. We got Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com, Ohio State beat writer, kind of talking about T.J. Shroud, how close T.J. Shroud was coming to actually returning to Ohio State and now what kind of he projects to be at the next level. As that's a guy I'm sure the Colts and the Colts fans will be looking at a lot here in the next few months. The Colts, again, try to evaluate their quarterback big board. We have our big board, George. The uh, Blue Horseshoe official quarterback rankings of the four quarterbacks in the draft: Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. George and I will give you our rankings of where we think the Colts should be. Where the Colts should be ranking those guys uh, in terms of draftability as well. But we will start, George, with the latest the head coaching search. My number one candidate, at least I think a lot of Colts fans' top candidate they thought was going to be coming to Indy: Jim Harbaugh. Instead, does a one eighty and is returning to Michigan. I don't know about you, George. I'm surprised that he is is not going to the NFL in general. Let alone not coming to the Colts. He is staying at Michigan. Uh, I, I are you surprised about it at this point? And is it you know now that he's off the board? Is this is this really even at this point uh, something that the Colts are, are shocked about and or have to kind of scramble with their head coaching search?
0: Yeah. You know, I, I had heard back like all the way back to November that he was coming, not, not necessarily here, but that this was the year that he was going to jump to the NFL. Uh, And that was the sense. you saw stories like that in the athletic, you saw stuff all around. Uh, He was, you know, talking to the Panthers. He was talking to the Broncos. Uh, It seemed like all the momentum was, was going in that way. But then in the last week or two, uh, it really seemed to turn and all the momentum was more that he was going back to Michigan and then obviously yesterday, that was, on Monday, that was the uh, decision that, that came out, the announcement that came out from the president there. And then shortly thereafter, Jim Harbaugh followed that up. So I don't think the Colts were surprised by this. I think it's telling that he was never on the interview list. Um, and it's not, I mean, we talked before about the college guys would be quiet. We don't know. You know, if they've interviewed Matt Campbell or Ryan Day or, or anybody at, at the college level, we're not going to know about it. Uh, not unless somebody on that side leaks it, because the college coaches don't want to know. That's not been the case with with Harbaugh. Clearly, uh, I think there were neon signs where he was <laughs> going, so I think we can pretty safely say uh, that that he that he wasn't in the mix here. And I would say that's probably why. I mean, one thing about Chris Ballard, he takes a lot of hits for a lot of reasons, and and some of them very deservedly. So he's done a really good job of of reading the situation most of the time, reading the rest of the league. So I would guess he he at least had an idea or an inkling this was coming. I have heard from a couple different sources that that Harbaugh had a very high asking price, and that it was something that that a lot of teams were not willing to meet. Uh, if Carolina was on that list, and I'm speculating here, uh, but if Carolina was on that list, if your asking price was higher than David Tepper, then that's it, a pretty high number. You know, whatever whatever that's gonna be. Um, so I don't know if that's an, a factor here, but I definitely don't think he, I think from a media standpoint, from a fan standpoint, he was the the obvious number one candidate. I don't know if that was ever the case inside the building.
2: Interesting. You know, obviously, like, you know, we've talked about this on the, on the pod before. I thought that was the, the guy for the Colts, whether it's the, you know, the previous history of him here in Indy or the fact that again, he was 44 and 19 and one and went to three NFC title games in his time in San Francisco. I know it was a short lived tenure in he kind of, you know, wore out his welcome very quickly there. But you see in the NFL, especially with, with this Colts team is trending this year. You figured you want to go, you know, get a guy who's a winner, get a guy who at least in Michigan in the last two years was able to turn that team into a, a physical specimen. Where that was a team that, again, won just by bludgeoning you to death, basically, and just running the ball down your throat, playing great offense uh, and having, you know, I should say deep and physical town on the offensive defensive lines, which is something that the Colts, especially this way, this year kind of lost their way, especially in the offensive venue. I at least thought that would be a, a perfect match. That's interesting. Would you call it a mistake to not be interested? Cause I think now I don't, again, I don't know what the asking price is. So if he's asking for the stars and the moon and you're not going to give it to him. That's one thing, but if it's a reasonable ask, I at least would say it's a mistake. George and the Colts not even entertaining an interview that we know of, like I said, George, jo- Jim Harbaugh is the only guy that has, has not been shy college-wise about who he's talking to, what he's talking to him. So you would think if there was some sort of discussion and or interview, we would have heard about it. And like you said, there has been none. So it's seemingly the Colts were not really interested. And I think that's just a mistake in terms of not even trying to, you know, snoop around there and see if that this was a guy that would, would fit this team well.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, depending on what, what the rationale is behind it, I think it could definitely be something that haunts this team um i I agree with you i thought the the roster was really well suited uh to jim harbaugh we talked you know way back when about this being him being probably the one big name that that they could entice uh because of the roster because of the previous relationship with the owner i don't know if i'd go so far to say they didn't snoop around i'd be surprised if there wasn't some contact when he was here for the big 10 championship game i mean he was here for a week in indianapolis Uh, All of that could have been kept very quiet. You know, it it may have been as simple. And again, total speculation on my part. But may have been as simple as them during that process finding out what the asking price was and and sort of walking away. I will say, like, from what I had heard, that's when things started to cool off. Uh, Before that, I had heard a lot of, hey, look, he might be the guy. He's definitely coming somewhere in the NFL. He's got ties to the Colts. And then the Big Ten Championship week came and went. And after that, it seemed like it was cooler. Now, maybe that's a coincidence. Maybe it's just, you know, the perspective from where I'm sitting. But that's the way it played out hmm. as I viewed it.
2: Interesting. So, Jim Harbaugh is now officially out of the Colts running and out of anyone's running since he's going back to Michigan. One other thing I want to throw you by here before I talk about where the Colts go with me or George. Sean Payton. Sean Payton, he came down on Monday evening, completed an interview with the Houston Texans. And the other three teams right now with openings outside of the Colts, the Panthers, Cardinals, and Panthers. I'm so sorry. i Broncos. I'm so sorry. I'm blanking on everything here. All, all either have interviews set up or have received permission to interview Sean Payton. There's one team, George, out of the five with current openings that has not even requested permission to talk with Sean Payton. Colts. Why is that?
0: I'm thinking a lot of similar things that we were just talking about with Harbaugh. Uh, I'm not sure Jim Mercy wants to pay what it's going to cost to get Sean Payton. We'll see, uh, but I, I don't get that indication. And I'm definitely certain that Chris Ballard won't be wild about giving up draft picks to, to get him, especially in a draft where he may need to move up to get a quarterback. We'll see how that goes, but they're probably going to draft a quarterback one way or another. So I don't think Chris Ballard, just knowing the way he operates, I don't think he'd be wild about offering something to the Saints. Uh, and right now, I think Peyton himself said a, a mid to late round uh, first round pick, right. which, you know, that's the Colts aren't giving up number four. That's for sure. They don't have another one. So uh, they, they may just not be able to to meet what it takes to to get Sean Payton.
2: Now, again, maybe they have explored. Like I said, we don't know what goes on these backs channels. So maybe they have explored it, and they just the Saints said, we're not going to take a future one. We're taking a one this year. I, I have no idea. Right? This is just me speculating and just going off what we know so far. But it's like, I mean, I think if the, Saint, if the Saints would say, you know what, we'll give you Sean Payton and we'll take next year's one. Honestly, uh, George, I think it's worth it. Even though that could hurt the Colts trade up to number one and maybe that could, you know, hamstring them a little bit about which quarterback they, they do get. I mean, Sean Payton's a guy who, again, you see what he done with, with, with Drew Brees. He's the guy that has taken a, a franchise in New Orleans that was maybe on the cusp of moving, honestly. And has really kind of made them, you know, a mainstay, one of the best teams the last fifteen years, one of the most consistent teams in the NFL. I think he's worth it. I think he's worth whatever he's asking for—fifteen million dollars a year, if, you, if that's his, his asking price. I think he's worth trading a future one to bring him in here, just because I think, especially now with Jim Harbaugh going, I think he's by far the most, he's the most qualified candidate on the market you can get. I think he is by far the surest thing you can get. And if you're the coach, like you know, one of those bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. I think it's worth having the bird in the hand, even though it costs you, uh, you know, a pretty penny to get him. I think it's worth it, honestly.
0: I think there's no doubt he's the number one guy in this this cycle. Uh, I think he has been all along. I think he is, you know, the top guy out there. He's the only one with the Super Bowl ring. Uh, what he went through in, in 2005 alone in New Orleans is, is incredible. Uh, and to be able to come through that and and get that franchise to to the heights that he took it. I, it's a very small list of head coaches who could have done that. You know, how many guys had gone through that would have been there still in two thousand and ten, in all honesty, when you're talking about the damage to the to the stadium moving around and you know, where the franchise was when he took over, um it's one of the hardest situations I can imagine anyone walking into in NFL history. Uh, just in terms of the city, the state, everything was was in chaos when he got there. Uh, and obviously, you know, they, they win the Super Bowl, they're a perennial contender. Uh, and I think the Colts have, a, if, if there's one thing during the Ballard era in particular that you can point to that, that's that been a mistake, a repeated mistake by this franchise, they have not taken big swings like this. You know, it, it's happened uh, on players over and over again. I mean, how how different is this season if, say, Teron Armstead is a is left tackle? You know, we don't know. We'll never know. Um, but those are those are the kind of things that they've not been willing to do to go get the big, you know, the big contract guy, the the number one guy that that's on the market uh, at any of the positions, because even with the quarterback spot, they've never gotten the guy in that offseason, the one that everybody felt like was the, the consensus top guy, you know, uh, and so I think not looking into Sean Payton is sort of repeating that mistake again. That's not to say that I don't think that there's good candidates in this coaching search. I think there's several that that they could win with. that could do a really good job here. But again, you're settling for, you know, something less than the, than the number one guy, which I think they've done too often.
2: And it's, again, it's another hope move. Like, Oh, I hope, you know, we'll talk about some of where the Colts go uh, Colts go from here in a second, but it's like, I hope Ben Johnson or, Dan Quinn or Mike Kafka, like there's a bunch of candidates, obviously the Colts have uh, requested interviews and our interviewing Raheem Morris. I hope he works out and is the next great head coach. And maybe you're right, maybe it does work out. But again, the Colts have done this a lot where they hope Carson Wentz can turn it around and be the guy. Obviously he was not. They hope Matt Ryan can kind of brush up a little, you know, let's say, you know, late season magic or, or late career magic here and have a, a career similar to, or have a year at least similar to Phillip Rivers where he kind of finds a uh, fountain of youth and all of a sudden now is a, is a, is a core that can get the Colts to the playoffs. Swing and miss on that. So like they have tried for these projects where they hope it works out. And so far, the last two especially have blown up in their face and have been extremely costly. Again, I just don't understand how it's like you have a known commodity sitting in front of you. Sure, the price is high, but you you pay a high price uh, high price for greatness. They did that with DeForest Buckner, give him a first round pick, and it I think it's worked out pretty well so far. So it was just one of those things where I don't understand how you can even just not take an interview and even explore it. I like he's interviewing with the Texans, and you know uh, multiple times Sean Payne has talked about the most important thing being the owner, and I honestly thought that would discount then the Colts from from being in the run and being in the mix. He's interviewing with Cal McNair. So it's not like, you know, he's not allowing the Texans incompetence to, you know, to turn them away. So I think if the Colts requested an interview, he would grant it at least go from there. And again, we believe he's someone who kind of wants to have a lot of control and say, well, he also had a, a GM in Mickey Loomis there in New Orleans. It wasn't like he was operating, running the whole ship in New Orleans by himself. He had a GM work with him. And we've talked to Chris Ballard kind of, not bending the knee, but working with the head coach to kind of get the players the head coach wants. So I think Chris Ballard absolutely would work with Sean Payton and get him, you know, it would be a partnership, not a dictatorship, if you will, of, of Chris Ballard saying, This is my guy. I'm getting him, you work, you figure it out. I think there would be a partnership there of, of figuring out whether it's a quarterback, whether it's another player in free agency or making a trade or in the draft. They would talk about it and come to a consensus agreement on. I just don't get. I just don't understand George. Why there's not even discussion? Like, if they discuss it and he says I'm not interested, that's one thing. If they discuss it, in the Saints like we want three first round picks. Okay, fine, that's another thing. But to not even put the request on or even have a conversation when everyone else has done it, we look at the Cardinals who have the number three overall pick. They're similar spot as the Colts where they only have one first round pick. The Texans have two, so it does help you have the you know the number two and the number twelve, so you can say okay, you could trade the number twelve, but it's not as costly because you still keep your high pick if you're Houston. But the Broncos, you know. Later round first round pick after you know the, the trade for Bradley Chubb. But either way, you have at least the Cardinals and the Colts picking three and four, similar draft capital situation. Cardinals are interviewing them, Colts are not. Mistake. Yeah, big mistake.
0: No, I mean to not even have a request in is yeah, I I don't understand it. Um again, he's a clear top guy and, and you're not going after him for whatever reason. Um and again, I think that's been if you want to look for the number one drawback to the Ballard era that to me is it right there you know they were in on Matthew Stafford but they dropped out early um, you know I don't think they were ever in on Tom Brady you, you look at the big the the consensus home run moves um, they, they've they never made one of them uh, while he's been here and in many cases they haven't made a, a real significant effort that we know of to go and, and get those things done so um, I think the whole situation Sean Payton I don't think, you, I don't think he would ultimately be the guy but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking right. about taking that swing, you know, and, and not just watching the pitch go by. Uh, right, right now, at least, that 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 appears to be what the Colts are doing, and it, it's really it's indefensible.
2: Right, I said he could turn him down, and okay, fine. But at least you tried. At least you're at the dance asking the question. You had the opportunity to get turned down, or the opportunity to be said yes to they don't even, like I said, don't even step in the batter's box, take a swing. Then you, you're hurting yourself. and think it's a, a major disservice and a major fail in the Colts for not even trying Because at least at the end of the day, if he says, ah, thanks, but no, thanks. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to sit this, sit this year out. At least you can say, well, we tried. And the, whether it's even a small win as the, the fan base saying, well, they tried. what are you going to do? And that's, even if it just that's the mindset alone, I think that should have been the, the Colts, at least again, bare minimum requesting going through the interview process with Sean Payton and seeing what kind of where his feelers are. But instead, like I said, here we are again, known commodity out there. Colts are saying thanks, but no thanks. So where do the Colts go from here, George? Last week, we kind of talked about the first batch of interviews the Colts are going through Raheem Morris, uh hero of Arrow out of, uh, out of Denver as well. Now, the latest um, batch of requests made so far in the last few days, the Colts have made. Giants fence coordinator, Wink Martindale. Giants offense coordinator, Mike Kafka. D'Amico Ryan's 49ers defense coordinator uh, is scheduled to interview the Colts as well. And also last week, out of nowhere, Colts did interview Eric Bieniemy, Chiefs offense coordinator. That was a surprise considering that there's no reports of even request. And all of a sudden you have Jim Mercer saying, oh yeah, we completed an interview with Eric Bieniemy." So now that Jim Harbaugh, George, is back in Michigan, now that Sean Payton is seemingly, for whatever reason, out of the picture or not even a consideration to start with, where do the Colts go from here?
0: That's a good question, and I will say this: it's almost on lockdown right now over there. There's there's almost nothing coming out. I think that's part of why you keep hearing Jeff Saturday's name so much, uh, because really the only like really uh, strong thing that you can cling to right now is knowing that Jim Irsay likes Jeff Saturday. I think he's pretty much Jeff Sari's agent at this point. Uh, And so you're going to, I think that's why the national media keep coming with that, that name, because right now it's really been almost nothing coming out of, of West 56th street in terms of, you know, who did they like? Who did they not like? Um, The one sort of whisper that's been sneaking out a little bit. I know Zach Kiefer had it at the athletic. I think Bob Kravitz, had uh, I mentioned it. I I think maybe Kevin Bowen mentioned it on the radio here in Indy. Um, the one sort of like quiet whisper is that Raheem Morris's interview went really well on Friday. Uh, so if you want to call him a front runner based on that, I'll leave that up to you. I'm not going to go that far. Um, but that is the one thing that I've heard kind of leak. I think with him, the the strength is uh, one he's he's been here before. He was only 33 when he get the head coaching job in Tampa. Uh, But I think he's a guy that could kind of get the circus out of town. We've been talking about that before. You know, I think one of the big things here, one of the most important things for whoever gets this job is to kind of calm things down before this rookie quarterback gets in here. You don't want to pile that on to to whoever that uh, ends up being's plate. Uh, And I think Raheem Morris is a guy who can, much like we were talking about Leslie Frazier's candidacy, if nothing else, I think Raheem, Raheem Morris is a guy who can come in and bring stability in that regard. Um, I think one of his biggest strong suits, aside from being really uh, just renowned throughout the league for his ability to connect with players, I think one of his other biggest strong suits is he could he could put together a pretty good staff. You know, he's been with with uh, Sean McVay now for a couple of years uh, with the Rams, and he obviously won a Super Bowl there with him. There had been talk that if McVay had retired, he would be the guy, uh, as there was last year that that he would have been the guy. So I think that's worth. Something as well, you know, the, the people that are around him out there right now wanted him to take over a, a Super Bowl winning team. Um, I, I think he would not be a bad choice. I think there's a lot to like there. Uh, still relatively relatively young. I think he's 46, um, so you're still looking at a guy who I think has new ideas to bring to the table too, which I think is something that would be interesting with this this staff uh, among the young coordinators. It'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. I think everyone wants. To look at offensive coordinator, Uh, obviously seven of the eight remaining teams are led by guys who came up on the offensive side of the ball. I would also note that Raheem Morris coached wide receivers for a while in Atlanta. So he's done both. He's a defensive guy, but he's done both, which makes him a unique candidate in that route. Um, But looking at the offense coordinators, I think Ben Johnson uh, right now, word is that maybe he's Carolina's front runner. We'll see how that goes. Um, Shane Steichen is tough for me to wrap my head around. For the simple reason that and Philadelphia did this. So it's not unprecedented, but you're going to be hiring the offensive coordinator of the offensive coordinator of the guy you fired. Now, Philly did it. They fired Doug Peterson That's true. and then went and got Nick Sirianni. So maybe this is just going to be an endless cycle where the Colts and Eagles just keep <laughs> hiring each other's offensive coordinators. Um, but I just, for me, I'm not sure what the end point there is. Like, if you're going to fire Frank Reich and end up with Shane Steichen. Aren't you kind of went back where you began? I It I shouldn't rule him out if he's the absolute best candidate. He's the absolute best candidate. It's just something right now in a vacuum. It's hard for me to to wrap my head around that. Uh, so that would leave us with Eric bien and Mike Kafka as far as the offensive guys go. Um, Kafka put a really nice notch on his resume on Sunday with, with Daniel Jones' performance. I think his work with Jones this year in particular has been really good. Um, and then I think the enemy, you know, perennial candidate, right. I think it was the 15th time, 16th time he's interviewed in the last five years and the 15th team. So almost half the league that, that he's interviewed with. Um, obviously he's got connections with the front office here. So does Kafka. He was in Kansas city as well, uh, for a year with, with Chris Ballard. And obviously Ballard's going to have all the intel he needs on those two guys. Uh, you know, just from Andy Reed and, and we know the relationship they have. So. It's an interesting situation. You know, I think all of those guys are probably in play to some level or another, but what's really making things so intriguing here is Ballard has let very little slip outside those doors.
2: Which to just that, right. There's a lot there. So just address that. First and foremost, I think that's a great sign. Like I said, it's, you know, I know the latest report from Jonathan Jones of CBS Sports on, I think it was Saturday or Sunday before one of the playoff games was, you know, hey, Jim still, you know, likes Jeff Saturday a lot. I think you're right. I think the reason that's being reported now again is just because nothing's leaking out, which I think is a great sign for the Colts going forward here that everything so far is on lockdown. And also that I think it's fair to, to say, George, correct me if I'm wrong, that even though in title and, and Jim said Chris Bauer is leading the head coaching search, I mean, it actually means Chris Ballard is truly leading the head coaching search here. And Jim Marissi is not interfering too much because, again, Chris Ballard seems like a guy who's close to the best. Is not what a lot of things leaking out of the media. And so far, that has come to fruition. We're kind of sitting here grasping where, like I said, outside of hearing the Raheem Morris interviewing really well, you haven't heard really anything outside of who they're interviewing and when they're interviewing them. So I think it's great.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a good sign. Uh, And it'll be interesting to see where it goes because I, I still don't think they're done. Uh, I haven't heard, you know, as we sit here about one o'clock recording on on Tuesday. I haven't heard any more names come out. Uh, but again, we won't know there's the enemy was a secret. No one right. knew uh, that That's that had terrible. happened. and and there could be others in there, you know, especially when it comes to college names, as we talked about before, if, if there's any of those guys in here, um they they could be not even revealed by a Jim Ursay tweet. So I think it'll be interesting to to see how this all plays out who rises to the top. I'd still be surprised if Leslie Frazier doesn't at least interview. Um, haven't heard him be requested yet, but also Ballard's been talking about taking his time. You know, we heard that Kafka and Martindale won't interview this week, for instance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe he he knows. I just know that Leslie is w- really well-liked in that building. So it'd be surprising to me if he isn't at least brought in, uh, if they don't at least talk to him. Uh, but we'll see. You know, we'll see where it goes. I, I think there's still some turns in this road to be made. Um, but right now, just almost radio silence, which I agree, I think is a good thing.
2: We talked a lot about the candidacy of Ben Johnson, of Shane Steichen on the last Blue Horseshoe pod. So if you missed it, make sure you download and subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe pod. If you did break down a lot of the initial talent pool and candidate pool when the list and the request kind of leaked out last week. So make sure you check that out. Uh, that was Thursday's pod, the last one we did. But to at least talk about some of the few names and the newer names, George, that we heard uh, this week. So I like my Kafka a lot. You, you see was, even just what he did with Dalen Jones this season. But you look at the Minnesota playoff game now, look, the, the Vikings defense stinks. We saw the saw the Colts put up 33 points in the first half. So we know that you can score on that defense. But like you said, it's the fact that he's in Kansas City. It's the fact that him and Brian Dayball go to, uh, go to New York this year with a quarterback that was broken in Dalen Jones, like truly broken. Between Pat Shermer, between Jason Garrett. Like that, that, the whole mess in New York was a disaster in Daniel Jones' first three years in the NFL. And they're able to build him up to a point where you're running a playoff game with a guy in his fourth year. I think it's very impressive. And Dalen Jones and Mike Kafka is the the main play caller. So, you know, Brian Dayball, you know, was the offensive coordinator in Buffalo with Josh Allen's rise. And you see, you know, Brian Dayball now has a track record of building quarterbacks up. Mike Kafka is the one calling the plays, which is good to kind of see that, you know, He's not just a offense coordinator and title. Like he's truly having a major impact on the success of the Giants here this last month, which I do like. And again, you think that whatever quarterback they do draft Mike Kafka would be able to develop them, which I think is massive going forward here. Same thing with Shane second. Like I said, it's, that's a good point. I didn't really think about too much. How much different is Shane second uh, as head coach of the Colts compared to Frank Reich? I'll be honest. I had not thought about too much. Now, like I said, it worked out in, in, in Philly Nick Sierrani is has a different personality, even though he's kind of off the Doug Peterson tree. And him and Frank Reich are all kind of intertwined. But it has worked out so far. And Ben Johnson, as well, see the creativity he's brought to Detroit. I think those are the th- three guys offensively you cannot go wrong with personally. And I think all three have the traits and qualities from an offensive perspective you're looking for when it comes to developing and, and providing an offense with some spark, which we saw this year for the most part had zero spark whatsoever. D'Amico Ryans is one I'm interested in on the defensive end. You mentioned the stat before. And I think it is very key. Seven of the eight teams remaining in the playoffs are uh, led by head coaches with offensive background experience. It is a copycat league, and I don't think that's an accident per se of having a lot of, def- of offensive-minded coaches have success in the playoffs. And a lot of those quarterbacks right now winning in the playoffs and winning playoff games are young, up-and-coming quarterbacks as well, all ages 28 and below for the most part. So it's a young man's game quarterback-wise. We have seen the development from these offensive head coaches work right now with their young quarterbacks. I think that's a model the culture should follow as well. But I will say that the D'Amico Ryan to me is very intriguing. As you watch that defense at San Francisco this year, my goodness, they play hard. They are spirited as well. It helps with a lot of talent, but they they really play to the whistle every single uh, every single play. And they just that leadership that D'Amico Ryan's has has really kind of shown those entire season. That's someone that I'm really interested to see how his interview goes uh, later this week.
0: Yeah, I think he's the one guy on the defensive side that I, aside from Morris, that I would really say, yeah, I'm all in with him. Uh, I think he's a guy, he's been out there with Kyle Shanahan. I think he could put together a pretty good staff as well. He's seen, you know, what good offense looks like uh, firsthand. He's been right there with with one of the better offenses in the league. Um, And I think just anybody who's in that Shanahan tree, I don't care which side of the ball they are. I think being around him, being around that organization right now, to me, that's a benefit. That's something I would want in my organization. You look at the 49ers winning with a third-string quarterback. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think they're one of the best-run teams right now in the NFL. And so if you're going to go and, and bring somebody in from that culture uh, who's had the kind of success that D'Amico Ryans has had, I wouldn't be against it at all. I wonder his interest level here. You know, I, he was part of those Texans teams that were punching bags for the Colts for for a few years, there might be a hurdle uh, that, that he might need to overcome here. But I, I would absolutely – if D'Amico Ryans is the guy at the end of the day, I think that would be a really good hire.
2: If you can't beat him, join him, George. That's what I'll say to D'Amico. That's for sure. Last thing I'll ask you here is this. We've heard nothing, right? Like I said, you just mentioned before. It's been basically tight-lipped over there uh, at the Colts facility. It is January 17th. Will we have a head coach Tuesday? To- Tuesdays from now on January 31st. That's the, let's say the over under date, January 31st You mentioned Wink Martindale and Mike Kafka not interviewed this week. So that's already pushing the search back. Assuming they don't find their guy that they fall in love with, you know, either this week or early next week. Will we have by January 31st, a head coach of the Colts?
0: I I'm ultimately going to say yes. Uh, for this reason, I think I know that Chris Ballard said doesn't care if it takes till mid February, but I think part of that was just driving home the point that they're going to be patient and they obviously are. And that they're casting a big net, but I think most teams—it's not a like solid, you know, ironclad rule—but most teams want that head coach and that staff in place for the Senior Bowl because you want to be able to get those guys' eyes on you know the players the first time you really get to look at that. I know the Senior Bowl hugely important to Chris Ballard. Um, I I don't know that it's essential. I I think there's ways around it. You can always watch the tape later when they get in and and all those things, but I think it's just something that in general teams want to have that coaching staff in place, uh, so that you can go down to the senior bowl together and you can do those evaluations in person together. I would think that all things equal. That's, that's what the Colts would want to do here. Now, granted, if, if the candidates on the Super Bowl staff, it's not going to happen. You know, so, so we'll see. see that before. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think you'd need you need pretty good confidence. But again, you know, in terms of like Kafka and enemy, I don't know how big of a worry that is. Not, not that the Giants are Super Bowl bound, but who knows? Uh, you know, we've seen stranger things. But Ballard has such a relationship with them and the people that, that they worked for that I think he'd have a pretty strong... If, if they agree, I don't think you'd have another Josh McDaniel situation. Let's put it that way.
2: I would I would agree with that I think like I said you you can't predict that ever happening anyway. It's not something you're you know you, you kind of have to be wary of uh, since we've never really seen something like that before happen. But I would agree barring them being on a Super Bowl staff, you just out of your control of, of physically not being able to hire them. i I think that we'll have a head coach uh two Tuesdays from now just because also too. I think deadlines make deals. Right now as we record this, no one has named a head coach. There's five openings currently as we sit here and record this podcast on Tuesday. And I think while everyone's kind of taking their time, and again, today's technically the first day that you are able to interview coaches that are still in the playoffs and on a staff. um, I think now that you'll see kind of it pick up and once maybe the Panthers make the first domino or it's the Broncos make the first domino. Then I think that kind of also helps push the Colts along because now candidates are starting to take jobs and it's like, okay, well, either you give me the job today or I'm going to go to Carolina or Denver or Arizona. So I do think that everyone's while they're slow playing it now, I think that will kind of, you know, it'll be a domino effect once we start to see the first hiring or two go. And that will kind of speed up the Colts process as well. So I think, it's I said, two, two days from now, by January 30, by February 1st, we should have the new head coach of the Colts set in place and should have, should have, like outside of a, a Super Bowl appearance, a uh, press conference, I will say, as well. All right, when we return here on the Blue Horser Pod, a lot of head coach talk, but also a lot of quarterback talk as well. Nathan Baird from Cleveland.com will join us, Ohio State B-Riders, seeing a lot of C.J. Stroud, get his thoughts on his NFL draft prospect uh, when the Blue Horser Pod returns. And welcome back into the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. Very excited to welcome uh, welcome in Nathan Baer to join us here at Cleveland.com, Ohio State football beat writer. Nathan, appreciate you welcoming or appreciate you joining, I should say, the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. It was really interesting seeing C.J. Shroud's decision because, honestly, I thought this was really not much of a decision to make. And you hear kind of coming down to the wire officially he does declare for the NFL draft on Monday afternoon, the last day you could. Was there a sense that you got that he actually could stay? Was he close to staying in Ohio State? This was really kind of maybe a lot of internet speculation and really was not going to, in the end, result in him coming back for another season at Ohio State.
1: We definitely got the impression that it was something he was considering or at least that it was something where uh, even if he had made the other decision, and I was always skeptical that he would come back, that he was just taking his full allotted time he yeah, had until Monday to make sure that it – set right with him you know he's a guy who is you know kind of wears his uh spirituality on his sleeve a little bit is very upfront with that sort of thing and how that guides his decisions and sort of the way he lives his life and that may have been a part of this uh but also let's not pretend that there aren't some factors at play that might have given him reason to think about staying you know there's you can look at the data there is a correlation between number of you know, games played or started at the college level and how well guys sometimes do in the NFL. And he's sort of right on that bubble. Dwayne Haskins, if you're looking at Ohio State players, Dwayne Haskins was like way under it. And uh, Justin Fields was a little bit under it just because of that truncated 2020 season because of COVID. C.J. Stroud's had two full seasons. That It's not like a, a dearth of experience, but sort of right on that bubble of, of what you'd probably like to have. Um, and, you know, the NIL situation now, you know, Ohio State – through its partnership with Learfield um, has done very well in terms of setting up current athletes and their earning possibilities. And CJ Stroud had already made somewhere in the seven figures uh, at this stage of his career um, and was poised to do more than that. If they, you know, set something up with some kind of global brand, wasn't going to be NFL money, but it's enough money that the guys who, you know, have made this decision before that was maybe a little bit surprising going back to Justin Herbert or Andrew Luck before that or Peyton Manning going even farther back. Like they didn't have that, obviously. They were choosing between NFL contract and dust or, or whatever they were getting, you know, under the table possibly or or from their, their parents because some of those guys were in, in good shape with their families or whatever. So uh, CJ had that to consider that he wouldn't be passing up all money to to stay at Ohio state for another year. But the financial realities are such that you, 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 you're signing this first deal. He's probably going to be, we think, you know, very good chance of being in the top five picks, probably wouldn't fall a whole lot farther than that. Even with now being three quarterbacks in in this class, him and, 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 and Levis and, um, and Bryce young, but, um, that's going to put you somewhere between what, 25 and 40 million. We've seen the projections or low forties. And, and then on top of that, it starts the clock on when you get to sign that second contract. And if, if you, you know, if you, if you hit and do well, and that's where you start making potentially like obscene money. So a lot of guys want to start that contract, start that clock as soon as they can. And, and on top of all that, I thought that the Georgia game showed, should have dissuaded any notion as to, to whether he's ready for this, jump like i think he's there so all those factors together i i think there was reason for him to, to pause and think about it there's obviously a lot of weapons at ohio state in this coming year there are some things he didn't he was never able to accomplish didn't beat michigan was a two-time heisman finalist but it was up front saying that was a he wanted to win that trophy and and didn't quite get there in the voting either year um never won a playoff game got them there once so and, and right to the cusp of winning one, but didn't win it. And then saw Georgia go win a national championship and saw that if they had been able to find the extra two points they needed to win that game, what was potentially what, what the way people would be talking about Ohio State and the way people would be talking about him right now. So uh, I think there was legitimately was, I didn't get the impression that this was showboating. And then certainly things that we heard was that this wasn't just him dragging out a decision for drama or attention that he really was thinking about it. Uh, at least to the point of even, again, if there was a decision that was more or less in place that he just wanted to make sure it's set right with him and, and consider it from all angles. Uh, but ultimately, you're right. Like, the decision that came down was the one that we'd been expecting since before the season, really since the end of last season. And, and going into the Peach Bowl, nobody around this team was talking about cj potentially coming back it was uh, we were already having discussions about the next two guys are going to be competing for that job so it, it was a little bit of a surprise that it dragged as long as it did but ultimately came to the decision that i think makes the most sense for him in the long term
0: yeah nathan i, I thought the peach bowl was arguably the best game he played as a college quarterback uh, but you see what he does on the field all of us can watch that you know on the tape what is he like in a locker room? Is this a vocal leader? Is he a guy that, that that his team follows? You know, what what sort of legacy does he leave at Ohio State in that manner?
1: So CJ has been pretty open about some of the um, challenges that he faced early in his life. You know, um, uh, some things with his family and with his dad especially and some, some tough times that they had. And he came to Ohio State as a guy, uh, Ryan Day put it like that, um, over the time that he was here kind of came out of his shell a little bit. I think he was still a little bit reserved when he got here, but definitely became a a presence that people rallied around on this team. And that started to happen even during his true freshman season. I mean, Justin Fields was still the starter, but the reaction that you were seeing from some of the other receivers on this team, the CJ Strouds, the Garrett Wilsons, like they went into last season with, a a real belief in who cj was and and what he could do and and some of that is when you just show up to practice and and show that you have the skills but it's more than that i mean you're getting guys to buy into the person you are in the huddle and the the person who is when everything else is is going screwy on the field you know you've got to be the one that has your feet under you and your your and, and your head together and and you're you're leading a team through that and that was never really an issue for CJ even from the first games that he played you know he he started last season uh, talking about 2021 um, injured like or 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 was injured pretty quickly he he had a a kind of iffy first half against Minnesota in his debut. On a you know Thursday night road game in the Big Ten, which isn't necessarily easy for a first time starter, and then kind of picked it up in the second half. Uh, but then it was pretty apparent a couple games into that year that his something was wrong uh, physically with him. So he took a, a week off, kind of got his shoulder right, and once he came back from that, it was pretty locked in, and uh, you saw that performance really continue on through the next season and three quarters or whatever that was. So from a from a just a on-field presence standpoint, there was never a time when he looked, I thought, you know, rattled or or out of place. I mean, he he had a, a pretty decent command of things, even if there were some growing pains in those first few weeks. And I think that's one of the things that has has put him in position to um, be able to go to the next level and succeed. That this wasn't a a guy who was just out there uh, slinging the ball around with you know like unparalleled arm strength or uh, was an athlete who could just make plays with his legs, although the Georgia game being a, a, a departure from that a little bit where he finally was able to do that or decided to do that. It was really a guy who, who can read defenses, who can process, who can see things before they happen, who is, who's making good decisions before the snap or good reads before the snap and, and processing that. And that has always been his game, like that brain at work has always been his game since really his first start of of 2021. So I I think what you're talking about, just in terms of the personality and that, that way that guys react to him has has also always been there. We haven't really ever had an indication that, that there was much doubt there. And the, again, just the testimony of the, the guys that he was making into or helping become all American level receivers the last couple of years is I think testimony to that.
2: Nathan, watching C.J. Stroud from a 10,000-foot perspective, I my uh, characterization of him is this. I feel like someone who he has no problem lighting up against the Northwesterns and the Marylands of the world. But you see in the last two years when it comes to the big games, Oregon, both Michigan games, even Penn State this year for three, three-and-a-half quarters, he did struggle. And it looked like he was, whether it was rattled, whether he's had trouble seeing the field, whether he was feeling the pressure, not running when he should have. Is it fair to characterize C.J. Stroud as someone who – does not play his best games in the biggest moments?
1: That's a good question, and that, that debate sort of still rages on because in the Oregon game, I, I set aside a little bit only because um, physically, like I said, like even though that was only a couple games in, like something was already wrong there. They didn't get it addressed until uh, the next game. The Tulsa game was actually his worst game last year, and then the, they took the next week off against Akron. It was once he got that week off – I think got things right physically, but also probably cleared his head a little bit. I think at that time, and I don't know if he ever really got away from this, but he was definitely listening a little bit too much to outside stuff, whether it was stuff that people like me would write, or just, I think more in general, the, the noise on social media, I think was getting him early last year that he had to kind of make a break from that. But once he got his head cleared and and came back for big 10 play, things really clicked in from, from that point on. Um, I think it is true that I, I go back and forth on this because I, I think there is some reason to say that some of the problems that you saw happen in, for instance, those Michigan games was not always uh, a failure on Stroud's part. I, I look back on his career as, you know, the, the letdown being more about Ohio state's program than, than him not stepping up and, and, fulfilling a legacy you know they had this guy who was i think arguably their best pure passer in in program history and they weren't able to beat michigan with him and they weren't they were only able to get to one playoff they weren't able to win a big 10 championship with them and it's it's it was the other failures around him that ultimately held this team back there were some some problems with the run game in both of those michigan games there was um you know problems defensively certainly in both of those games it, it's it's definitely a, a valid criticism to say that the offense didn't do enough especially in the two Michigan games and then the second half of those games things did seem to really uh flatten out but in, for instance the 2021 Michigan game um he was just under constant attack from mm-hmm. uh, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ajabo and the, you know the offensive line didn't do its job that game or at least i at the very best you could say is that Michigan won that matchup. Like they, they had NFL edge rushers and they came in and did NFL edge rush things. And even some of those offensive linemen have gone on and, and, and started their NFL careers well. But that day, Michigan certainly won it. There have been other occasions where you would say, I think that he did step up. I mean, even in the Penn State game this year, uh, that was as physical of a secondary as they played. There were, there were definitely NFL guys in that secondary, Joey Porter Jr., you know, standing out at the top of it. And they were winning some of those matchups one on one. Whether it was Marvin Harrison Jr. and the connection that that Stroud and him had, I think you saw come up in some big moments there. And then, like I said, the Georgia game uh, I thought is the one that that should answer a lot of those concerns. I mean, that's arguably the best defense Ohio State faced either of these past two years. And uh, Stroud and and Day together were kind of in sync on sort of owning that game. Now. I think that's the other debate that's raging at Ohio state right now, among the fan base and and people who follow it is, was, was days play calling at times too conservative. Should they have treated some of those other games that the Michigan games, um, especially the way that they approach that Georgia game, you know, and it was right after that Michigan game this year where he said, you know, we're not going to play, we can't play tight. We've got to be more aggressive. And, and that seemed to be as much an admission about how, he needed to approach things as the program at large. And I think you saw that in the way the game that he called against Georgia. So that may have been another thing that was on CJ's mind recently. I haven't mean, obviously I haven't had a chance to talk to him since his decision came down. We only have the, the public statement that he made. But, you know, did he see something in that Georgia game that, you know, if they had taken that approach in the next year, does that open things up more? Like when we were doing predictions for this past year, we all thought that CJ was going to have like really some monster numbers just based on what we'd seen him do that second year. And that didn't really come to fruition partially because of the way the schedule played out, but also the, the way that Ohio state approached things offensively. And I think that what you saw against Georgia could be a template for how they approach things in some of these bigger games coming into this year. Cause this, this coming season it's going to be a tough schedule for the guys that are following in behind him and whoever the first year starter is going to be. Um, and I, I think they probably learned some lessons about, how to, to go about this just from the way that that Georgia game went.
0: Along those same lines, you know, I don't know that it's getting enough play uh, overall, but there were a lot of injuries on, on that offense this year. I mean, you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, did not play the whole year. They were down to their third running back. Uh, at one point, I think they had a linebacker <laughs> running back. Um, how much did did Shroud have to overcome this season in that regard? We know Ohio State's loaded with talent but you know was that a real a real obstacle for him
1: at times it was and especially as it relates to the run game in the passing game they they missed Jackson Smith the jigba too but not until the end of the season when they you know he would have made a difference against michigan he would have made a difference against georgia there's no question like a healthy jackson smith the jigba on the field maybe they win both of those games i don't know i mean it certainly would have made a, a big difference um and then to you know even just that georgia game i mean they they thought they were going to have Mayan Williams ready to play. He, uh, which was the guy who led them in rushing this year and he gets hurt and can't really play much and they lose their tight end. Kate Stover. I thought that was maybe the most significant loss of the game. You saw a number of ways that that showed up over the course of that game where not even just as a receiver, but more like blocking and, and helping protect and things like that. Well, uh, just minute small little things where I think Kate Stover makes a difference. And then obviously losing Marvin Harrison Jr. for the entire fourth quarter of a game, you lose by one point uh, unanimous All-American receiver. So just even in that one Georgia game, he had to overcome a lot. And you look at the lineup that they had on the field at the end of that game. And if you had told Ohio state fans that, you know, you'd be one point away from uh, going to the national championship game with a lot of those guys on the field in the fourth quarter of the semifinals, they would have kind of chuckled and wondered like, what what went wrong. Um, but yeah, there were a lot, there were several things that they had to overcome this year and and the Smith and Jigba thing definitely affected the year. I mean, for people who don't know, you know, he's a guy that set the, the big 10 single season receiving record last year and, and a guy who was going to be central to this offense. I mean, he was the, the slot receiver and they had planned a lot of their offense around what he was going to be. And this wasn't an injury that maybe happened in preseason camp where you, you get a couple weeks to adjust. I mean, it happened during the Notre Dame game on opening night. And at the time didn't seem that significant of an injury in some ways. And, but it lingered and they could never get it right. It was just one of those hamstring injuries. He tried to come back a couple times, kept aggravating. It kept having setbacks and ended up playing like 60 snaps all year. And that was just a huge presence that they had really built a lot of their offense around. And you would see times this year where the guys that were in his place, Ohio state still trying to run Jackson Smith and Jigba plays with guys who are are talented guys, but aren't Jackson Smith and Jigba. And it wasn't always a seamless fit. And it looked a little clunky at times. And when Marvin Harrison jr. Then emerges, like I said, becomes a consensus all American and has, you know, 14 touchdown catches or whatever he had this year. And was a fantastic season. And, legitimately we sort of expected him to take a step like that. The opportunity wouldn't have been there for him to put up those kind of numbers. Maybe if, if Smith and Jigba is still the, the central presence of that offense, but imagining what it could have been with him on the outside, Smith and Jigba in the middle, and then Mecca another thousand yard guy and Julian Fleming, who was the number one receiver in his class a couple of years ago, taking that, that sharing that, that third spot, I, an offense that was already, you know, among the best in the country in terms of, you know, yards per play and, and points and everything you can just take it up another notch above that. So, uh, but it was the run game that I thought maybe held them back the most, or was the thing that he had to overcome the most, because when that stayed on schedule, uh, they could very quickly just overwhelm teams. You know, it's an, it's, it's rolling downhill very quickly when they would get clunky with the run game on early downs. I don't care how good you are and how good your receivers are. Now you're playing real big time football and and defenses now are making you throw on their terms. And that was when you would see three and outs. That's when you would see, you know, drives that stalled and Ohio state having to, you know, punt the ball away. And if, when, when, if they can get that part of the game healthy for 2023 again, uh, and they have like all those, all those same guys are back in the backfield to try to, you know, give it another shot. But if they can get that healthy, it's going to really help whoever's, you know, taking over for Stroud. But at times this year, because Stroud himself is not a running presence or again, was not until the Georgia game, then, when the, when the run game got bogged down, you definitely saw um, this offense stall out. And it, not knowing the whole second half of the year which of those two lead backs was going to be healthy put them in a tough spot.
2: One of the we referenced the Georgia game a lot, Nathan, right? And one of the reasons for it is because we saw something we haven't really seen at all in CJ Stroud's career, and that was him using his legs more than uh, more than ever. He had 12 rushing attempts, which is double the amount that he had in any other game before. That his previous career high was six, so that was obviously a concerted effort, and that was something that was different than what we've seen at any other point in his career. If the Colts were to draft CJ Stroud, is that something that Colts fans would ex- or should expect to see more often? That he will use his legs more often? Or is kind of that Georgia game an anomaly in a specific game plan, and he'll still be more of the pocket passer that he was for, let's say, 95% of his Ohio State career?
1: Yeah, so it wasn't really necessarily part of the game plan. Because if you go back and look, I mean, I think I can think of like maybe one designed run, kind of a zone read that they ran, and he kept it, and I, that didn't go very well. Uh, that's not his game. And th- what I think you saw against Georgia, though, was something that Ohio State fans had been clamoring for, really for for both seasons which was take what the defense is giving you in terms of scrambling and mm-hmm. that's a tough proposition when you have as many weapons as Ohio State has and and this Justin Fields even someone and people saw what he did this year as a runner like there, that's a he's he's still a pocket quarterback first or at least was at Ohio State but clearly a guy who knows what to do with his legs and is that kind of athlete CJ Stroud is not a Justin Fields level athlete as as, as a runner but even when Fields was here, there was a lot of times his inclination was to keep the ball almost some would argue too long sometimes to try to make a play with his arm with his arm because you had Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and uh Jameson Williams for a while and then Jackson Smith the Jigba coming along behind them and uh, you had all of this NFL talent at receiver. It seemed kind of like you, you all you want to maximize that as much as you can. And I think Stroud took a, a similar approach. I don't know how some of it may have been also Ryan Day. That's the approach that he wanted from him was to, to sort of limit how much he was going to put himself on the line as a runner because he's, you know, I don't know that they were – the drop from from the starter to the next guy, I think they have confidence in whoever's going to take over next year, but there still is a drop. So there was, all of those factors were sort of in play. And what happened against Georgia was, you know, a Georgia defense that was willing to let Stroud – Prove that he could run on them, like and and for the first time he did it consistently. He had to do it a little bit against Northwestern. If people um, are familiar, the Ohio State played a game at Northwestern this past year where the the wind gusts were insane, and it pretty much uh, put a lid on anybody throwing the ball that day. And for an Ohio State offense that was so predicated on that, like even the the long handoffs and the the bubble screens and stuff were were inhibited by. Uh, the wind that day so they had to become A, a running team and uh, That was the first time we saw stroud Kind of take matters into his own hands and run the Ball but the georgia game was another level And and it was a lot of it was you know You're running multiple vertical routes And and georgia is going with those Guys and it's just leaving the the, the field Open people can go back and look like The, the only reasonable <laughs> Response in some of those cases Was to just run with it and and, and It was funny to watch stroud um, On the field during that second half, because you could tell he was feeling it a little bit uh, sort of um, for the first time in his career, really, you know, breaking loose as a runner. So I'm not by any means predicting that he's going to do what a true dual threat quarterback does or guys like Justin Fields and Josh Allen. that's not going to be his game at this next level. He is a pocket passer, but the Georgia game showed that he uh, can get out there in the open field. He's got a very long stride, but when defenses are going to give it to him, he will take it. That was the indication I got against Georgia. Does he replicate that at the next level? We'll see. That's going to be how, depend on how defenses respond, but it does, it's an interesting thing to kind of put out there on tape and for teams that are now scouting you to have to take into account that it's something you're willing to do. It's something that teams didn't have to account for his entire Ohio State career, which is maybe why it was there to the extent that it was against Georgia.
0: Last one from me, uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I think he's going to go down as, as the most accurate passer in Ohio State history. I think I read that somewhere, highest completion percentage. Do you attribute that to, to that anticipation and the way he reads defenses? Is it arm talent? You know, what what all went into that?
1: I mean, he definitely has some arm talent. His bigger skills, though, are more the, the touch that he can put on passes and the what you're talking about like you know reading plays getting up to a line being able to read a defense and then being able to apply that to what happens post snap jim knowles who is the defensive coordinator that came in this year who was at oklahoma state and had a lot of success before that has said that stroud is as good as anybody he's ever seen do that and that includes when he was at um you know in the sec seeing you know eli manning and and some of the other guys that they've, he's faced over the years. So, or, or even had, you know, with, with, the teams he's been associated with. So that was something he could challenge him with in practice. And, and Stroud kept, uh, you know, doing a good job, you know, winning a lot of those challenges, I suppose, on a, on a daily basis. And the other thing to remember too, is, is the, just the receiving talent that they've had there. You know, it's not like he had to come out and make, these receivers look good. Like Chris Olave, what he did this year as a rookie in the NFL, Garrett Wilson, what he just did as a rookie in the NFL, Jameson Williams didn't get a chance to, and he didn't really do a lot at Ohio state. He was definitely the third guy. And that was, he wasn't actually, I shouldn't even say him. He wasn't here. Stroud took over. And then Williams was, um, had headed to, excuse me, headed to Alabama, but Jackson Smith and Jigba. We'll see what he maybe does at the next level, but but certainly with Olave and Wilson show you that those guys were legitimate NFL receivers both on the field at the same time um, that makes your job a, a lot easier as a quarterback. So I, I, the thing that I think will make him a success at the next level though is uh, or at least help with his learning curve is that ability to process his football IQ, the, his vision that he has on the field, um, his ability to, to anticipate uh, all of those things I thought were pretty evident go, you know, he, he, we've had some pretty good quarterbacks here at Ohio state the last few years, whether it was Haskins or, or fields, or even going before that, you know, guys who won Heisman trophies in the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And he's leaving as the the quarterback proficiency rating leader in career history. And it's because he was able to just, you know, make good decisions, really minimize turnovers and, and and didn't have to uh, didn't, wasn't a volume shooter you know didn't need a lot of attempts in order to have a really productive passing day most games of his career and those sort of things i think transition really well to the next level to wrap
2: up nathan is there a comp you have in mind of an nfl quarterback that maybe you could project cj stroud to kind of maybe mirror
1: god that's a great question i i i haven't really thought of that because and also like so many guys it seems like in recent years have maybe trended towards um guys who use their legs a lot the the ones who have been you know that superstar level um and i guess we shouldn't even really necessarily project stroud for that level i don't know that you have to be the, the super upper echelon in order to to be successful if you get on the the right team uh, i would just look at him in, in general again it's not about um he's not going to be a, a, a real dual threat guy he's going to be a guy who you want i, I he needs to get paired, I think, with a, a good offensive coordinator. That's what he had with Ryan Day because it's a guy that um, I don't think there's anything – the complexities of the NFL and the um, the studiousness you need to have to succeed at that level I think are not going to be a problem for him. He's known as a guy who uh, watches more film than anybody else, which should probably be true of your quarterback, but like they had the hours like measured out. It was like demonstrably true of him, and – being a student of the game is not going to ever be an issue for him and putting in that sort of time and work is not going to be an issue for him. So I'm curious to see who he gets paired up with. Cause if you get someone who's, you know, innovative and uh, someone who is willing to, um, you know, push the envelope a little bit as to, as far as what a passer can do and, and how you utilize weapons. Uh, I think that's what makes him really interesting because um, you're, like I said, he's, he has been sort of building himself, to be able to see this game at the level that you need to, to succeed in the NFL.
2: Nathan Baird, Cleveland.com Ohio state football reporter. Thanks so much for joining us here in the blue horseshoe Ohio podcast and giving us uh, some Intel on uh, C.J. Stroud. Appreciate it. No problem. Thanks a lot. And we'll come back into the blue horseshoe podcast, Ryan Hickey and George Bremer here with you. We appreciate Nathan Baird for hopping on and giving us his Intel and his thoughts on C.J. Stroud. It's going to be a name that Colts fans will be hearing a lot of these next uh, three, four months. That is for sure. So, George, I just want to throw you before we give you our, our quarterback rankings and our official blue horseshoe big board of quarterbacks uh in the draft for the Colts. I want to throw this by you here. I have a comp for CJ Stroud in mind. I want to see if you agree. And if it's if not, if you have another comp as well. I see CJ Stroud as someone like Jared Goff in terms of very accurate when the players are there, when the play calling is there, he can run a system. To perfection, and he can light it up like we saw with the Rams or Sean McVay and go to a Super Bowl. But as soon as things kind of go awry, or as soon as things even go off schedule, that's when the shaky decision making goes awry. That's when, right. if injuries to, you know, to some key wide receivers, and now you playing with lesser talented guys, I don't think he's a guy who can raise the talent of those around him. I think that he can play at a really high level if the talent and the coaching around him is at a very high level. So that's got to kind of look like with CJ Stratt, where you even look at some of the big games he's played in. He has struggled, and I don't think, you know, not to knock him for playing with great players, but I think this is a a true thing we have to kind of talk about. I think he was, you know, helped out a lot by the insane wide receiver talent around and compared to him making, let's say, like, I think Marvin Harrison Jr., I guess I'll put it this way, made CJ Stroud better than vice versa. CJ Stroud making Marvin Harrison Jr. a lot better uh, as a player. Would you agree with that comp? And if not, like, I'm just curious if you see someone else in CJ Stroud's game.
0: No, it's, I was laughing because its the exact name that was in my mind uh, is Jared Goff. Look at, of, Look at us! Look at us! And and also with the accuracy, I mean, I think Goff's very similar yes. in the same way. When you talk about, yes. you know, the way they throw the ball, it's it's very similar. You can and I think their careers were similar um, in college. I mean, obviously, Goff didn't have the talent around him in California, but it was similar. It just felt a lot a lot the same. Uh, I think you know it, it'll be interesting to see. How that plays out and how the NFL thinks about it. One thing I will say, because there's no doubt. I mean, anytime you're looking at a guy from Alabama, a guy from Ohio State, a guy from Georgia, uh, when it comes to quarterbacks, you're questioning the talent around them because most times when they lined up, their eleven guys were better than than the other eleven guys at every position, and that's obviously not going to happen in the NFL. And so it's a different world. You know, sometimes I think a Ben Roethlisberger at Miami of Ohio has a has a leg up that way because he's used to playing from behind and, and playing, you know, where maybe his guys are not as good as the other guys and, and, and compensating for that. Uh, but that being said, I think the one thing maybe from a talent standpoint that, that does, I think Nathan kind of touched on this a little bit. He he didn't say this directly, but I think he was hinting at some of it. Chris Olave had a chance to go pro uh, and it surprised some people a little bit that he came back last year. And I think CJ Stroud was part of that. And so I think that is telling on some level too. That he, he felt like, hey, if I stay another year, Stroud's not going to hurt my chances. You know, and he's a guy that, that that I feel good with. Now, that being said, you're throwing to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and Marvin Harrison and Jackson Smith and Jigba. There's NFL quarterbacks who are yeah. envious of that. So um, there's no doubt. You know, I, I think Jared Goff's a, a perfect comp. And, and so obviously, the correct choice for head coach is Ben Johnson. I think we just solved it right there.
2: Without a doubt, which also I'll say, like before, we get to our quarterback rankings, it gets to me a little nervous about Stroud's stock, just because the Colts don't have the same, you know, plethora of weapons that he had at Ohio State. He's playing with a worse offense, at least tight end and receiver wise, with the Colts than he would at uh, that he would at Ohio State, and that is a little concerning, just because we don't know how his game truly is going to be when, it, when like I said, he's not playing with more talent than the other team. Uh, and when he had, again, that's outside of the Georgia game, which is a little concerning it's only one instance. We've seen more bad than good when it comes to playing high-level opponents. That does get me nervous where if the Colts either take him at four or if they go up to number one and take him as the number one guy, as you're nervous and you kind of take a guy that high, and the ceiling, I think, is is dependent upon who his coaches and who his receivers are compared to just playing well no matter who's, who's around you. I think we've seen with Jared Goff, he was the number one overall pick right back in 2016, and when everything around him is great, Sure, he can get to the Super Bowl and he won't, you know, hurt you too much. But as soon as as injuries happen or as soon as, you know, maybe a play breaks down, he's not someone that's going to, you know, go outside of the offense and make a play happen. And just like I said, just slinging around and just kind of at points when you need your quarterback to play hero ball, be that kind of guy to, uh, to bail you out like you'd hope a number one overall pick would be. All right, so I'm very excited about this, George. We have our own big board here. Of the four draft eligible uh, eligible quarterbacks, the Colts will be in the market for Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson out of Florida, Will Levis out of Kentucky. Those are the four names we'll be ranking. I guess we'll go. Should we go one to four, George? Four to one? Should we, should we build it up here? Yeah,
0: why not one to four? You know, one to four. Not, I think everybody knows who our number one is. If they listen to the pod at all, they know who's number one on our big board.
2: Three, two, one. Bryce Young.
0: Yeah, I mean, come on, right. Bryce Young is is at the top. uh, And it, for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned that we worry about with CJ Stroud, he's I think he's a guy who's shown great creativity. I think he's a generational playmaking talent. It'll be interesting. We'll have a guest on we'll tease a little bit here uh, later this week who we can talk to that about. Uh, but I think he's a generational playmaker. And I think that makes up for his lack of size in my mind.
2: Dane Brugler of The Athletic, who does a tremendous job each and every year with a massive draft guide. He breaks down all the tape. He is one of the, the smartest and, and most informed uh, draft analysts that you'll see in the next few months. So Dane will be joining us on Thursday. Very excited about that. It's a must listen. So again, if you haven't done it before, now it's time. Download, subscribe to the Blue Horseshoe Podcast. That's going to be a very informative podcast with Dane on kind of the, the Colts and, and which quarterbacks they should be in the market for. But the one thing I'll, I'll say, George, because we've talked about Bryce Young and we've heaped praise on him a lot. The one thing I will say that's, that it, to me drives the opponent even more why he should be the number one uh, quarterback on the Colts board is this. The biggest knock you here, the only knock you here is size. And yes, he's like six foot. And I get college, you know, you look at height and weight, it's a little exaggerated, right? So is he six foot 180s or more like 5'10 and 170? I, you know, probably say he's more the latter than the former. But the only knock you here is this his height. Which which means, to me, two things. Number one, when you look at, how he played against, uh, look at how he played at Alabama, he did not get hurt. Like Look at Tua. I think a great comp is Tua. Tua, even though he's playing behind that great offensive line, got hurt a ton in Alabama. He had ankle injuries. He had, obviously, that hip injury that ended his, his career at Alabama. But he was always banged up. He was always dealing with something that kind of either limited him on the field or had him, had him miss games. Wrestling missed one game and it was kind of one of those fluke, you're throwing the ball away, you land on your shoulder, you hurt your rotator cuff, and you missed one game then came back and lit up Tennessee. So it's not like that injury really hurt him too much. So it's like he got hurt with that small frame. He took care of himself well. But the other thing is if the biggest thing you're talking about is size, and there's nothing else you could point to, accuracy, arm strength, decision making, playmaking, like ability to win and put up points no matter who's around you. If that like none, I've not heard of George any other knocks about any of those things. All it's been is size, height. Chris Ballard's a guy, a traits guy. He's, he's. That's too, too small. If the, if the only thing we're talking about is size, I'll live with that. Russell Wilson. I know this year's not the best time to bring up Russell Wilson's name. He has had a lot of success in the NFL as a smaller quarterback. I think now we have to kind of move past the, the height of a quarterback. I think that's been debunked. Joe, Bur- remember two years ago, Joe Burrow talking about his hand size and he like one of the smallest hands uh, of a quarterback in the NFL. Guess what, George? I don't know small hands are really impacting Joe Burrow whatsoever. He's pretty damn good. And I think the Bengals say if they could do it again, ah, uh, yeah, we wouldn't have taken him because of his small hands. So I think, honestly, size personally for me is overblown too much. And if the biggest thing we're talking about is size, not his arm strength, not his accuracy, not anything else about his game, just size, I will live with that. That to me is is all the more reason why Bryson, without a doubt, should be number one on the Colts board.
0: Yeah, I, I think he's the number one guy in this draft. Um it'll be interesting to see because with Ballard, that is a real thing. And there's no question about that. Uh he definitely has been a traits guy. He definitely has been a size guy. He's definitely a guy that that has, you know, uh measurements at every position that he wants. Uh, but he has talked about before too that that when you go outside of that, when you when you look at a Kenny Moore, um, you know, when when you look at some of the other guys that that he has, uh, Isaiah Rogers falls under that. Uh that, that there's some other trait that makes up for it. There's something else right. there that makes up for it. And I, to me with Bryce young, that's generational playmaking talent. And I, I think that'll be, I'll be interested to see how Ballard, you know, comes down on all that, because I, I do wonder if he's willing to trade up to number one for a guy who's this much of an outlier. I know the, the Heights part of it, the weights, the one I hear more about, I think there's only been one quarterback drafted in the first round. I think, uh, in the modern draft era, if I remember that stat right, who weighed less than 200 pounds? Um, so I think that's 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 a big part of it here. Uh, I want to say it was it was either Chris Miller or Chris Chandler. I'm not sure which one. It was a Chris uh, who was <laughs> under 200. Um, it, it just doesn't happen. Uh, but that being said, we know he's going to go high somewhere. Even with all these these knocks, he may not go number one because of it. Uh, but he's going to go high in this draft. And I think the Colts are making a mistake when they're in position to go get him. I think they're making a mistake if they don't do it.
2: And it's not like he plays like Lamar Jackson when he's running the ball 15 times a game and, leaving himself susceptible to big hits. He is mobile when he has to be. He's very athletic inside the pocket, but he rarely kind of leaves and puts himself in harm's way, which is part of the reason why, despite his small frame, in two years at Alabama, he missed one game. And again, it was was not like – it was one of those hits that could happen to any quarterback when you're trying to throw it on the run and just get rid of the ball. So it wasn't like he got hurt because – of his small size. And again, you look at other quarterbacks like Tua and you see his injury history with the dolphins. Guess what? You could kind of trace that back to Alabama and say, well, he had a, a history of injuries at Alabama. You can almost kind of predict that would happen in the NFL. Not the case with Bryce Young. Okay. So the, the least Bryce shot also
0: he... played, played through the injury. I mean, that's another yes! important element tuff, here. He had tuff. one injury that he played through and almost beat Alabama and LSU with that injury.
2: So I, I, it's not an, it's not an issue. If they don't uh, – we'll save it for later, Pod. Because as you can see, we're getting already worked up here. It's it's not even a question. I feel like also we're on an island, George, as well, uh, with Bryce Young being number one. But that is the official Blue Horseshoe number one quarterback on our big board, Bryce Young. All right, we'll go to uh, through two, three, four quickly here, George. Who is second on, on your uh, big board here? CJ Stroud, Will Levis, Anthony Richardson.
0: For me, it's Stroud. Uh, and the reason I put him ahead of Levis, I'll just go through my quick real quick. It's Stroud, Levis, Richardson for me. And Stroud because – I've seen him do things at a high level more consistently than I've seen Levis. Levis, for me, it's all trades. Um, it happens here and there, but you don't see it consistently. As many questions as we have about C.J. Shroud in big games, as many questions as we have with him when a play breaks down, I think they're all there with Levis. I think th- there may be a little bit more off-platform stuff success with Levis, but by and large, I just didn't see it. I, I always for me, it's dangerous when you start looking at these quarterbacks and saying they had this problem in in, in college, but it'll be fixed in the NFL. That rarely happens. Uh, and I just feel like if if we take the problems that we know exist between Stroud and Levis, I'll live with Stroud's more because I think if I get the right coordinator, if I get the right offense, if I, if I surround Stroud with the right pieces, he's going to be there. He's going to make the plays. I'll be quite frankly honest, my biggest issue with, with Levis when it comes to the Colts, you're talking about an offense offensive turn the ball over 34 times this year, and now you're looking at a quarterback who had 23 interceptions combined in the last two years. That, to me, is oil and water. That should not happen. I, I just don't see that getting—it's one of those things I don't see that getting fixed at the NFL level. If you're turnover-prone now, you're probably going to be turnover-prone then, especially if a lot of those turnovers are due to your belief in your arm, as I believe they are with Levis. Anthony Richardson, to me, is a project. He's a guy that the size is there, the arm strength is there, the athleticism is there, all the pieces are there, but he hasn't put them together yet at Florida. I I heard a lot of scouts have said he should should come back for another year. You want to see him put together all these things at the college level? Doesn't mean it won't happen, but again, I'm not betting on a guy who couldn't put it all together in college to suddenly put it all together in the NFL. It could happen. It happened with Josh Allen. But to me, you know, all these people that want to say Bryce Young's an outlier because of his size, Josh Allen's the biggest outlier in the history of the NFL. Yes. I can't come with another comp. I can't think of another player who improved the way he did from college to the pros. I'm not counting on that happening again.
2: I'm 100 with you. So we have the same exact order. C.J. Stroud is also second on my list. Will Levis third. Anthony Richardson fourth. uh, Stroud, like I said, is out outside of Bryce Young, I think the most polished quarterback in this range for the Colts. Like I said, there's no doubt when the pieces are random of how high level he can play because we've seen it at Ohio State. Still questions about if he, you know, his consistency uh, in big games. But that Georgia game, like I said, maybe kind of shows you if he opens up his legs more, then maybe he can kind of really settle in and play well when the competition is also high. But so the big question for him is if the talent is not there, and again the Colts right now are not in a position where it's like Joe Burrow and you have those three great receivers kind of all around him and ready to go. That's not the case here, where you have you know uh, three top-notch weapons uh, at you know uh, Stroud's disposal that he can just kind of throw the ball up to and make plays for. So that's my biggest concern with Chad Blake said w- way more polished, way more accomplished, way more accurate. There's a lot more things you feel good about with TJ Stroud. Coming out of Ohio State than then Richardson and Levis for sure. Levis I have third, Richardson fourth. You're right, by the way. Like that's the biggest thing. And Richardson and, and Levis are kind of, you know, in the same conversation, in the same mold of yes, when you look at the big body, you know, uh, Will Levis is 6'4, 230. Stature, right? That's that's a quarterback that's you know, if you say, Oh, build him in a lab, that's kind of the guy you look at. Rocket arm, the ball flies out of both Levis and Richardson's arm. But the thing is, like you said, A lot of the flaws, it's so truly hard to correct them in the NFL. I'm glad you are about Josh Allen. Because Josh Allen by far is the guy with the same exact questions as Will Levis as Anthony Richardson. But you see how much work and and where the Buffalo Bills were when they took Josh Allen. They were a playoff team the year before. So that was a roster that was missing a quarterback, but for the most part was was solid all around. And you had the right head coach and Sean McDermott already in place. You have the right, you know – the the Bills were in a good position where they were able to be patient with Josh Allen, have him go through those rookie lumps in 2018 when he's kind of throwing the ball over and turning over a lot. Then in 2019, they get a little better, they go to the playoffs. But again, Josh Allen in that Texans game, they had the early blue and in large part because Josh Allen's uh inability to kind of protect the ball. And then you see you get Brian Dable, you get Stephon Diggs, and really in that year three, he explodes because of what is around him. That is the that is, like I said, the anomaly. Like y- It's rare that quarterbacks can improve their accuracy and improve their decision-making from college to the NFL level. You have to have everything else around the quarterback kind of in place to make that happen. The Colts are not right now in an an incubation team, if you want to call that, that can take Will Levis or Anthony Richardson on, have them, you know, develop into now or or kind of ruin or take away some of their bad habits and develop them into these quarterbacks, like I said, are, are unstoppable just because again, is the protection right now for the Colts uh, where it should be? No. Do the Colts have a top flight wide receiver that is kind of like an eraser and or safety blanket? No. Do the Colts have a head coach right now? No. They tell like I have no idea who, who their head coach is going to be. If it's a defensive guy, who the offense coordinator is going to be. If the offense and if that offense coordinator or head coach is going to pan out to be a good one. So there's so many question marks that the Colts have as a team right now that if you take on a project in Will Levis, you take on a, even a bigger project in uh, Anthony Richardson – there's not a lot of reason to think it's going to work out. They are nowhere near in the stable mode the Bills were in when they took Josh Allen compared to where the Colts are right now. This was last year, and you before we knew everything that happened, they traded for Matt Ryan, and they still took, let's say, Will Levis. Let's just uh, let's just say second round. They just fell to the second round. You had Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. You were able to take him in the second round last year. You had Matt Ryan going to this year. It was going to be Matt Ryan's job. You can have him sit for a year and kind of have the pieces we thought were going to be in place of the offensive line and Michael Pittman Jr. developing. Okay, one thing, right? That, that's something where maybe I can get behind. But now to to draft Will Levis or Anthony Richardson possibly at number four or number one and have them most likely be that, you know, the guy starting week number one. Don't love that, George. Don't love it whatsoever. That's why they are the bottom two for me, Levis three and Richardson four. Because like I said, the traits are there. But also when we're talking about size, arm strength, uh, athletic ability as like the biggest positive, that's what gets me concerned, because we just talked about Bryce Young with the biggest knock is size. That means he must do, he must uh, do everything else well. If we're talking about, oh, the size and the strength of Will Levison, and Andy Richardson, and that's the biggest plus, well, that means that they probably don't do a lot of the mechanical stuff well. They don't, don't accuracy-wise, decision-making, ability to process a defense, probably don't do it as well as, as you should, especially when you're taking a quarterback either in the top four or number one overall. Yep,
0: yep. No, and that's, I thought, my biggest takeaway from our talk with Nathan Baird was that the processing of CJ Stroud. I think that's that's the number one thing for me that would would separate him from these two guys. His ability to read a defense, to anticipate, you know, that's something that's been missing from this Colts offense, uh, probably since Phil Rivers was here. So I think you really wanted those I think those elements are something the Colts need in this quarterback. They're there with Bryce Young. Uh they're apparently there with CJ Stroud. I'm not sold they're there with Levis and, and Richardson.
2: Absolutely. So that's the official Blue Horseshoe podcast. Quarterback ranking Bryce Young, number one, CJ Stroud, two, Will Levis, three, Anthony Richardson, four. I'm curious, your thoughts. I'd love to hear some feedback on this about Colts fans. Do you agree with that or disagree? Who would be your top quarterback? If you had a big board right now, who is number one quarterback wise of the Colts should draft? Let us know on social media. You can tweet George at GM Bremer You could tweet me at Ryan underscore Hickey, number three. Make sure to leave a review wherever you do get your podcast. You can, you know, in the comment section, of the review, tell us who your number one quarterback would be. And while you're there, maybe drop five stars if you like what you listen to. Uh And also too, George, make sure you check us out on, on YouTube. We're going to be there a lot more. We have our own little blue horseshoe tab on YouTube, um, on the Odyssey sports YouTube page. And make sure you subscribe to that. Cause you now, if you like listening to us and you want to look at us, well, guess what? We'll be on the tube a lot more as well. So we got a very, very busy off season, As you know, coming to you, we have Dane Brugger, of The Athletic coming up on Thursday. I'm very excited for that conversation, George. That's, again, one of the smartest minds in the draft that you'll have. So we'll see if he agrees with our big board as well, and if he can maybe talk us out of uh, Bryce Young being the the number one guy in this draft. So that'll do it for this edition of the Blue Horseshoe Potty. Make sure you download, subscribe, wherever you get your pods. We'll talk to you on Thursday on the Blue Horseshoe Podcast.